what's our pattern for living the Christian life? Is it to live like kings or is it to live like the crucified? Is it to live like we are going to heaven or is it to live like we are already in heaven? There are various forms of, of prosperity and, and power religion in our day that, that make, it, make it as if we are already living with those great uh, blessings of salvation that are really reserved in the scripture for the future. And it's easy to sometimes see how, how they are, are living, living a, uh, their, their life in the best way that they can now. They are living with these kingly things now. All this ease, all this comfort, all this security, all glorying in these things, glorying in power, glorying in prosperity, and not living for the time to come, not living for the age to come. I think it's easy to look at sometimes errors and false uh, teachings that are out there and not recognize that there is a very real temptation that we would live for present power and present prosperity. But that is not the way for the Christian. It's true that we will live with Jesus Christ, that we will rule with him. We will live like kings under him as the king of kings. We will be glorified with him when he returns in glory. In fact, it's almost impossible for me to overstate that. Like we have a failure to grasp just how great it will be. And yet, what I hope that you'll see today is that we are not living to live now as those who are glorified, but we are to live now as those, uh, as the one who was crucified, Jesus Christ. Today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 Corinthians 4, and I really organize the, the passage today around three questions, three questions, and the first one is, why do you boast? Why do you boast? Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 4, read verses 6 and 7 with me. It says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? You know, verses 6 and 7 connect us back to what Paul has been speaking about in the first uh, three, uh, three chapters of the book of 1 Corinthians, this idea of we ought, not, we ought not boast. There is no boasting. And he even talks about the way they have been boasting in, in certain teachers. They have been uh, c- connected by their connection to Paul or Apollos or Peter. They had said, we're, we're superior to those in the other church. They had caused divisions in the church. Uh, they had even uh, caused a, a lot of problems. This is what, what Paul has been hammering at for for three chapters now, uh, now, now finishing up a fourth chapter, uh, uh, speaking about, about not boasting. Why, why, how could you boast? How could you boast in men like uh, Paul and Apollos? Paul says, I've applied all these things. That is that we are servants. We are stewards for your sake. We are working for the Lord. We, our commendation is for the Lord. We're not looking for worldly success. We're not looking for worldly commendation. We are looking for the praise. We are looking for the commendation. We are looking for the well done and good, full, good, good and faithful servant from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I, I applied these things to ourselves so you, that you would not boast in us. And he says there, he has two purposes there, that, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. He's been quoting from the Old Testament. He's been speaking about the, the cross that he taught to them. It's really easily summed up in, in Jeremiah. 
can listen carefully at Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. This is where Jeremiah writes. He says, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight declares the Lord. He wants them to know that this is not the way of the scriptures. This is not the way of God. This is not the way that God taught Israel to live. This is not the way that the apostles taught the church to live. This is not the way that Jesus taught his disciples to live. They were not to boast in men, but to boast in Jesus Christ. And he says that that none of you would be puffed up in favor of one another. That is, none of you would be conceited. It probably includes both ways of kind of understanding it. Either, either they would think of themselves as superior to one another, uh, either in their own right, in their own abilities, or perhaps uh, thinking of themselves as better than one another based upon their connection with one of these teachers, one of, these, uh, one of the apostles even. But they were looking at themselves as, as better than other people, as better than other Christians. This ought not be the way it is, and Paul tells us why in, chapter, in, excuse me, in verse 7. He says, for who sees anything different in you? That is, you know, what makes you so special? What makes you better than everybody else? And then he says, what do you have that you did not receive? Over and over again, uh, Paul has said in the, these first chapters, he said, God, God chose you when you were nothing special. He called you when you were no different from anybody else. Jesus Christ became to you, it was from God that Jesus Christ became for you wisdom from God. That is righteousness. You have righteous standing before God. You are sanctified as one of God's children, as one of God's people. You are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. He has paid your debt. What, that, is, that is from God. You receive that. You, didn't, you did not attain that. You were no better than anyone else. You were not superior to anyone else. You you receive that, so why, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? We ought to recognize that everything that we have in the Christian life comes from God, from the plan of God the Father, bought by the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and applied to us by the Holy Spirit. We can only receive it. So he says there, if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? And I think we need to apply this to our relationship, the way that we think about ourselves and the way that we think about other people. Now, I think Paul's, Paul's primary context here, he's talking about in the church. You know, if, and he's, he's speaking to people who, in many ways, he praises God in the, beginning of the, in the beginning of the book. He praises God for their knowledge and their gifts. And so you can praise God for the knowledge and gifts that he gives to people. And yet, you ought not boast except in the Lord, because all these things come from the Lord. So if you have knowledge, if you have gifts, well, how could you despise one of your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ? How could you look on other Christians and look down on them or be conceited toward them? You have received these things from Jesus Christ. If you have superior knowledge, and that's a big if, but if you have superior knowledge, if you have superior gifting, that is from the Lord. That's not something for you to boast in. That's something for you to serve with. 
So we ought never despise, we ought not look down on, on, those, uh, on, on other Christians who, have not, who, are, who are still growing, uh, who maybe have not had the Holy Spirit make it clear to them yet. Instead, we ought to be humble. We ought, in fact, the way that Paul will talk about it later on in 1 Corinthians 12 at the, is that there are even parts of the body that, are, that ought to be, uh, they are, if they are weaker, they ought to be covered. We ought not, we ought not, we ought not exacerbate or, 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 or uh, ridicule those who are weak or those who are immature or those who are struggling. Instead, we ought to know that if we have anything, we have it from the Lord. And he has, he has given that to us with the intention of us building one another up. It also applies to the way that we even view unbelievers. If you look at unbelievers, and, and we, ought, we ought to be clear to say that with like, like someone like John the Baptist, we can certainly point out what is immoral. We ought to point out what is, uh, what is wicked and what is evil. And yet we ought never do that in a prideful way. Because what is the big distinction between you and the person who does not believe? Were, were, you, were you smarter? Were you more, you have greater, greater depths of clarity, greater understanding in yourself? Do you, are you able to apprehend knowledge in a way that they are not? Is it because of your connections, because of your background? No, the, the ultimate reason that distinguishes the people of God from others is God himself. God took you out of those who were impure, those who were headed to hell, those who were, as we read in Ezekiel, those who were headed for the wrath of God, and he plucked you out of there, and he put you into his people. He set you apart as his people. He sanctified you. He put you into Jesus Christ so that you would be counted righteous in his sight. Everything that you have is from God. So you have no way, you have no reason to look down on others or to think that you in yourself are better than they are. All that you have, you receive from God. And I want you to know that if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ, this is the way that you receive him. You renounce your wisdom. You renounce all of your superiority to other people. You renounce your righteousness. You renounce your power. And you trust wholly in Jesus Christ. You no longer boast in yourself. All boasting in men is excluded. You boast in Jesus Christ. And that means relying upon him, trusting in him as your savior. The one who died in your place. So why do you boast? There's no reason to boast. There's no reason for any human being, none of us, for, for us to boast or for us to, to take pride in ourselves over against others. We've seen that, that that's the answer to the first question. Uh, next, The next question I, I want us to think about is, is, are you already living as kings? Pick up in verse 8. And we're going to read through verse 17. It's really the central section of the passage we're going to look at today. He says, uh, already... You have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings and would that you did reign so that you might share the, so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake but you are wise in Christ. We are weak but you are strong. You are held in honor but we in disrepute. 
to the present hour we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless, when persecuted, we endure, when slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless gods in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child and Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I taught them every, as I teach them everywhere in every church. A person not too long ago asked me if, if ridicule and sarcasm were ever appropriate. Uh, we have to remember Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt speech come out of your now, of mouth, but only what is good for building up. Uh, what gives grace uh, as fits the occasion. And so we have to keep that in mind. Uh, there, are, there are different ways of speaking for different situations, always with the goal to bring grace. And when I think about it, there are appropriate times for ridicule and sarcasm. As Paul demonstrates here, we see it in the prophets, we see it in Jesus, we see it in Paul. And I think, I think if there's a common denominator that always, always when they are ridiculing something, always when they are, when they are using sarcasm, it always has a particular focus. And, and, and that I can think of, it's almost always human pride. There's a, there, ridicule and sarcasm were designed to bring people down a notch. And sometimes people need to be brought down a notch. And so that's, that's the way Paul is talking to them. He says, he says this, is a, uh, this, is, this is ironic, this is sarcasm, this is ridicule. He says, already you have all you want. That is, already you've glutted yourself, you've sat at the table, you, you've, you've downed all you want, you can, you can eat no more. Already you've become rich, already you've become kings. Well, see, what they were doing is they were living, they were living like they were kings now. There's the promise in the future that, that those of us who are in Jesus Christ, we will have our feel in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus Christ pictures us being with him and eating at the marriage supper of the Lamb, feasting with him. We're going to have all that, we, all that we desire. We're going to rule with, with Jesus Christ. We will rule with him, under him. He is going to be Lord, but we are going to have dominion as it was intended in the beginning. Uh, we are going to be, uh, there will be no more pain, there will be no more sorrow, uh, there will be no poverty. All those things are, are, are in our future for those of us who trust in Jesus Christ. But what the Corinthians were doing was they were already living that way. They were now in the present. They, they, they had lost the understanding that those blessings are reserved for the future. Those, those things will indeed be ours at the return of Jesus Christ, but those things are not ours to, to, to enjoy now. We certainly have the right to enjoy every good thing from God, but, but we are not to live like kings now. We're not, we're not living as gluttons now. We're not living as, as those who are rich now. He says, you know, I wish that you were kings already. Because then, if you were already kings, then we would be reigning with you. Because Paul is basically saying, hey, hey, if that's the way it was, then we would already be reigning with you. We would already, we would all already be kings. We wouldn't have any more problems. But look at what he says. He says in, in verse 9, he says, but here's, here's the reason why I wish that were the, the case. Because... I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all. And we'll take, we'll take each of these series just a little bit at the time. He says, 
as apostles, as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. What he's talking about there is the apostles. That is, those that Jesus Christ had given the task of founding the church, of, of being the, those first witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He gave them the task of carrying up the, 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 the tail end. And this is the tail end of a procession of a, uh, it, was, it was what would happen is there would be a great victory and the, the soldiers would carry all of their victims, all of their, all of their wealth. They would parade it through the street. They have this big parade, like a Super Bowl parade at the end. And, and all, all along came the end, all the, all the enemy soldiers just pulling up, pulling up the rear, walking through the, walking through the manure, choking on the dust in shackles. He says, you know what, that, that's, what I, that's how I think that God has, that's the role that God has given to the apostles. To carry up the end. To, to, look, like, to look like Jesus Christ who is on his way to the place of the skull. To live the kind of life that is as if those who are going to be condemned to death. As those who are carrying their own beams. They, were, they knew, G, uh, Paul knew what Jesus had said. He said, Whoever would follow me must deny himself and take up his own cross. And so Paul is saying, this is the cross that the apostles are bearing. This is what the apostles carry. They are carrying in their bodies their own death. You know, if you would think that if anybody was living it up, if, if the Christian life were about living in comfort and security and ease and, and living, uh, to the, living life to the fullest, you would think that if that's what the Christian life was, then the apostles would be living that. And yet, Paul is saying, no, we're, we're pulling up the end. We've become a spectacle. You know, it's like, like everybody is along the sides watching, watching the parade. And it, it, is, it is the world and it's men, it's even angels. I mean, he's talking about every created being is looking at us and they're just watching. And they, they, are, they, they are in wonder at how these men, what, why are these men continuing in the Christian life? That's the, that is the message that ought to come from our lives. That Jesus Christ is of such great value that we would give up everything to have him. The next series there is verse 10. He says, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. You are weak, but we, we are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. You, know, you, you, you have to kind of kind of use your imagination. Here. You are, you're so wise. Oh, but we look like we look like fools. We look like we look like we look like idiots. We're going through this life. You you are already putting yourself up as the as the head of the banquet, and here we are. Here we are looking like looking like fools, looking like morons. Those are actually in the in the Greek. Those are those are based on Greek Greek words there. Idiots and morons. That's what we look like. We look like fools. You you are so you you are you are so strong. We're weak. Everybody everybody honors you. You are honored. And we are we are held in disrepute. Yeah, you know, I think he knew what Jesus had said in Matthew five. Matthew five 
Jesus says, verses 11 and 12, he says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's how, that's how they were treated before. That's how all godly men in this world have been treated. They've not been honored. They've not been respected. They've not had a good reputation in the world. Why would you seek that? Why do you want to be seen that way? Jesus was not seen that way. Jesus was the ultimate prophet and he was rejected by his very own people. What makes you think that you will live a, a more plush and splendid life? Pick up the next series, verse 11. He says, to the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. They're going without adequate food. The glorious life of the apostle is to, is to sometimes go without meals. It's to go without clean drinking water. It is to be poorly dressed. It is to be beaten wherever you go. It's to be homeless. Remember what Jesus had said? He said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Paul later on will say, 1 Timothy 6, he says, he says if we have food and clothing with these things, we will be content. He's picturing himself as following Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ went to the cross, so we pull, we pull up the tail end of the procession. Jesus Christ was homeless, so we live as homeless. That is the way that it looks for a person to follow Jesus Christ. He even says we labor working with our own hands. What he's talking about there is, is even though Jesus had commanded that those who preach the gospel should get their living from the gospel, he had, uh, Paul himself had refused to be paid. He had refused to, to ask for money. Instead, he had decided to work with his own hands. The word that's used there for the, the labor that's talked about is hard manual labor. You know, you had these, you had, you had other Christian teachers, you had these other secular Greek philosophers who, who were glad to have benefactors, were glad to have, were glad to be uh, set up in really nice houses, to be set up in really nice places, to be taken care of, to have big paychecks, to be well respected. Just like the Pharisees were, they loved to have these, these titles of rabbi, they loved to be respected by the people that they greeted in the street. Paul gave up the respect of being in, in, a, a vocational minister and took on himself the shame of working with his own hands and preaching the gospel for free. In, in fact, later on he says that is what he boasted in. How different that is from the professionalism of the ministry today. Paul said, this is how, this is how I live before you. I was not willing, the, way, the reason that, that Paul said that is that I was not willing to burden you. I did, not want, I did not want to burden the church. So I boast in, as a madman, in preaching the gospel for free. Paul, that's what Paul says. He says, 
And he says, just the same way that remember what what Peter says in first Peter two, he says, when Jesus was insulted, when he was reviled, when he was when he was beaten, he did not return evil for evil. He did not return insult for insult. He did not return threatenings or cursings on those who were beating him. Instead, he bore in his body our sins on the tree. Paul's living that out. He is living as Jesus taught him to. When he's reviled, he blesses. He, he, returns, he returns good for evil. When he's persecuted, he endures. When he's slandered, he, he it says he entreats. That means he speaks back kindly. Gently. The last part there, he says, we have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. The, the idea of the scum of the world, the scum would be the things that would run off in the liquid. So kind of think of like sewage. Uh, and the, the, the refuse would be kind of more things you would have to scrape off of your boots before you came in the house. Talking about manure and other vile things. That's what we became. You're trying to set yourselves up as kings. You're trying to fill your lives with all these things. And this is what we became for Christ's sake. These are men who said, I have counted all as loss. I have counted everything as rubbish for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ. Being counted as righteous in him. There's not much more to say about that, except that is the life that we are called to live. We will not, we will not all, uh, we, I say this so that we will not judge others. We are not all called to live out the Christian life in exactly, in exactly the same way. We're not all going to suffer this way. I say that so that we will not judge one another. We are, we are not called to look at one another and say, hey, it doesn't look like that person is sacrificing enough to me. They, they need to drive a, a, a worse car or, or more tattered clothes or they need, to be, they need to take their lifestyle down a couple of notches. It's not for us to look at others to do that. I say that so that we will not judge one another. And yet at the same time, we should all be prepared to live this kind of life. If we were to be imprisoned, if we were to be persecuted, ostracized, blackballed from employment, what would we do? Would we give up the Christian life? Would we give up following Jesus Christ? If we were hungry, if we were thirsty, would we give up following Jesus? God, help us to be ready to lay down everything. It is he has bought us. We belong to him. And even look at the way Paul says it at the beginning. God has exhibited us apostles. As if, as if the apostles were just, we, we can do nothing but God's will. We can do nothing but submit to God's plan. And whatever it is, we are glad to do it because Jesus Christ is our Lord who has died for our sins. Now we look at verse 14. Why, why this ridicule and why this sarcasm? Is it, is it only to shame uh, the Corinthians because of their, because of their shameful behavior? Well, he says, I don't write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. 
He even says where you have countless guides in Christ or countless tutors. You have you have 10,000 tutors in Christ. He's probably talking about other teachers. He may even be talking about uh, some of those who are who are puffing themselves up, maybe in Corinth. Could be talking about uh, legitimate teachers. But he says you have many of these other teachers, but you don't have many fathers. For I became a father to you in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul is not trying to undo everything that he said for the past three chapters. He's not now trying to get a following for himself after he said, hey, I'm glad I didn't baptize anybody. I'm not trying to get a following for myself. But what he wants them to know is, this is, this is what I want for you. This, I am a father, and I am, I am speaking to you as a father. I, I am trying to reason with you. And you know, Paul had to, Paul had to, use painful words. Paul had to use painful words and he had to he had to risk being oh, oh no disliked by the Corinthians. They might not like him. But he was he was as a father willing to say things that they didn't like and risk them not liking him in order to speak the truth to them, in order to call them to repentance. You know if we ever have to resort to even to the to the level of ridicule with our brother in rebuking them, let this always be the goal to bring them to Jesus Christ. Some things that are ridiculous deserve ridicule. But let it be our goal to bring to bring people to Christ, to bring them to repentance. If we have to speak painful words to a brother, if we have to if we have to know that what we're going to say is going to hurt, let us speak it with a desire to bring them back. Paul then says, I come to you as a father. He says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Now, he's following Jesus Christ. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ. It is to, in many cases, to do without. It is in many places to be, to be disrespected and even beaten and imprisoned. It is, as almost all of the apostles died, were executed or died in exile, it is to leave everything behind. So imitate that. Imitate Paul. Leave behind everything. Count everything as loss to know Jesus Christ. He even says, like, I I sent you Timothy. I want you to know, this is what I teach everywhere. I want you to know, I want you to follow my pattern. You know, the pattern of the Christian life is not the glorified life in the here and now. It is not a life of riches and wisdom and kingship. It is not, it is not the time for us to rule and to judge. Right now is the time for the crucified life. We follow the pattern of Jesus Christ, which is the pattern of descending. He who, who did not Uh, did not think it robbery or did not hold on to being God, but instead became a human being for us and even was obedient even to death. Therefore, God raised him up and seated him at the right hand and exalted him with the name that is above every name. The pattern of the Christian life is down until, until God raises you up from the dead to reign with Jesus Christ. Now then the last question is, is, do you wish for discipline? Do you wish for discipline? He says there, verses 18 through 21, he says, 
Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Evidently, there were some who thought, uh, Paul, Paul, he's not that great. You know, he's not that powerful. He's not, he's not, he's not, we're not afraid of Paul. Paul, Paul's not coming. Paul said, well, some of you might think that. But if the Lord wills, I am coming. And then when I come, we're going to find out not just arrogant talk. We're not going to find out about just, about just a little, a little uh, spiritual smack talk. We're going to find out about power. Because the kingdom of God is not about talk. It's about power. I'm not sure exactly what Paul meant by this. But I know that in Acts 5, when a couple uh, lied to the Holy Spirit in front of Peter, God struck them down dead right there. I know that in Acts 13, when Paul uh, rebuked a, a pagan magician, that he was struck blind right there. That's the kind of force that, that Paul had. He's an apostle and he's coming to render judgment on these boastful people if they don't repent. But he says, what do you want? You want me to come with the rod? You may come with the rod of discipline? Or do you want me to come with gentleness? You know, we don't have the, we don't have the, the threat of an apostle coming to us. We have the threat of one more terrible and good than an apostle. We have Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is responsible for disciplining the church. Those whom he loves, he disciplines. Flip over in your Bible to Revelation 2. And just read verses 1 through 5 with me. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? This is verse 1, verses 1 through 5. Revelation 2, 1 through 5 says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. That's a picture of, of Jesus Christ uh, having the authority over the lampstands, that is, over the churches. And he says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You know, the church in Ephesus was in many ways in the New Testament a model of a Christian church. They were, they were mature, more mature than other churches. You can even see here in Jesus' commendation of them that they are, they are not given a false teaching and yet they are abandoning their devotion to Jesus Christ. They are losing their first love. And Jesus Christ is saying, if you do not repent, I will come and remove the lampstand. I will remove your status as my people. I will remove you as a church unless you repent. 
you know, in, in my judgment, as fallible as it is, my judgment, God has done wonderful things in our short church in its short existence. God has been at work and bringing us together and, and maturing us and growing us. And yet we must stay devoted to Jesus Christ. We must be watchful. We must be sober-minded. The devil prowls around like a drawing line, seeking someone to devour if you are not watchful. Watch and pray that you enter, not enter into temptation. Stir one another up to love and good deeds even more and more while the day is approaching. What we are doing is serious, and we ought not lose the seriousness of it. And the, the rod of Jesus Christ, the, the, the discipline of Jesus Christ, ought to it is there to encourage us, to, to motivate us. Let us keep on. Flip over one other page to verses that you'll be familiar with if you've been in church for, for a while. Uh, if not, these are wonderful verses to know. Well, look at Revelation 3, 19 and 20. Jesus says, these are the words of Jesus. Speaking to, to John the Apostle, he says, Those whom I love, I repro reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Doesn't that sound a lot like what Paul has said? Do you wish that I would come with the, with the rod of discipline? Or do you wish that I would come in patient gentleness? Here is Jesus. He is only speaking as the one who is standing in, who is the steward or the servant of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ stands here at for our church, for any church, and says, I, I love those. I love those. I love my church. And since I love my church, I will reprove and discipline my church. So be zealous and repent. And at the same time, if you will open up the door, I will come in and fellowship with you. You will know communion with the Son of God, the King of Kings, the one who is preeminent over all things. You will have fellowship with him. That's the choice that we have. Will we, will we boast in men? Or we will, will we live a life of humble service, a crucified life, walking as Jesus Christ walked? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, when, he was, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. But with his mouth shut, he took on himself our sin and bore in his body our sin on the tree. So let us turn to him. Let us boast in Jesus Christ. Let us live like Jesus Christ. Paul began by saying, this is what the, this is what the message of Christ, the cross is. You're not living like people who believe in the cross. Now, here I am telling you, this is the way that you are to live. You are to wait, live the way of the cross. And you know what? This is the way I teach everywhere. This is the message to all the churches. To live the way of the cross. So let us believe in the cross, trust in the cross, trust in Jesus' death on the cross, and then follow him, taking up our own cross, and live the cross life. Father, uh, thank you that
you are willing to rebuke us in our sin, that you are ready to to speak to us and that you have faithful messengers who will come and speak, speak difficult, painful words to us. How we are pained to to displease you. Grant that we would be rightfully ashamed. But not just ashamed, but help us to turn to you in repentance and faith. To be zealous all the way to the end, to, to persevere. Whatever, whatever cross you have granted to us, whatever you have given us, whatever assignment you have laid on us, help us to carry it out faithfully with a pure devotion to Jesus Christ. Strengthen us by your spirit and make us to know all of your goodness, all of the goodness that awaits us. Help us to live every day in gratitude for what you have done and in what you give and to live in hope for what is to come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.